0: Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. Well, let's pray one more time here. Lord, thank you. Like Bruce just said, for your word, thank you for the kind of God you are that wants to reveal yourself to us. Thank you for... Again, the person and work of Jesus. And now, Lord, we ask for the work of the Holy Spirit to help us see and hear and obey all that's written here. Lord, help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to say this phrase over and over again as we go through the book of Revelation. Daniel said it last week. I'll say it again this week. Revelation can't mean for us what it couldn't have meant for them, them being the original readers. Revelation can't mean for us what it couldn't have meant for them. And, and the important thing to see right away is that this was a letter written for the church, God's people at a particular time and a particular place in history. And so we wanna think about what was that time and place like as we begin to enter into this book. Well, you can do some of your own research on what it was like to be a believer at that time, but it was a time of painful and persistent persecution. This was persecution and pain for the church at its highest, right? In the book of 1 Peter, we have some signs of persecution coming. By the time we're reading this book in Revelation, we've got persecution on full display, and it's been going for some time. It would have been a time of temptation, to compromise in faithfulness and in worship and in morality for a couple reasons. One, because it gets old to be the one that doesn't do this thing or doesn't participate in this thing. And because maybe if I participate, maybe I can avoid some of the persecution. It would have been a time where it looked like Rome was big, strong, hateful and would last forever that's how big and strong it was there's there's no idea that well, soon Rome will fall just the idea of it's big and strong and it hates us and these churches in Asia Minor needed a word from the Lord they needed to hear from him in the midst of those circumstances so what did he want them to know What do you want them to know as they're going through all these things? Well, he wanted them to know through pictures and symbols and references that they likely would have recognized, even if you don't quite recognize the pictures and symbols and references yet, you will as we get to them, but they likely would have recognized these pictures and symbols, and through them, he wanted them to know that their almighty father was real that God was real, he was bigger than Rome, that the sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient and that the power of the Holy Spirit would be enough to keep them faithful through it all until the day the risen Christ would return and complete and consummate all things, make all things new and wipe away every tear from the eyes of his people. And yes, yes, in the midst of that, Satan would be at work. Satan so it would be at work through many beastly people and political powers to persecute God's people. But the ultimate message of Revelation is that despite the beastly powers and the beastly people persecuting God's people, they would not ultimately win. God's people would overcome by his blood and by the word of their testimony. In other words, Jesus reigns Now was the message of Revelation. Jesus keeps now. Jesus rules now. And this book puts forth two choices for the people of God and all who would hear it. Here are the two choices. Find salvation in the things of this world temporarily and ultimately suffer the eternal wrath of God. That's one choice. Or find salvation in Jesus eternally and temporarily suffer the wrath of God of the dragon, Satan. So I'll say it again. Here are the choices put forward in Revelation. Find salvation in the things of this world temporarily and ultimately suffer the wrath of the lamb eternally or find salvation in Jesus eternally and suffer the wrath of the dragon who is Satan temporarily. He's trying to show them what's true, what's eternal and what the choices are. Life as a believer in Asia Minor at this time would have been full of weariness and worry. Weariness to keep being the one who didn't partake. Didn't partake in that idolatry. Didn't partake in that sexuality. Didn't partake in the apathy of the whole empire. It would have just been so much easier to just fit in and give in and go that way or at least be apathetic enough that no one knew where you stood. Just be quiet. And maybe you feel that today. Like, why keep fighting sin? (laughs) Wouldn't wouldn't it just be so much easier to give in? Aren't you just tired of fighting against the same sinner? Why not just be a bit more apathetic so not everyone doesn't like me, is, is against my ideas? Why not just fit in a bit more? Why do I have to be vocal? Why do I have to say what I think about Jesus? Would have been wearisome to live then, especially when you know they're coming after you. And it would have been worrisome. What kind of worry? Well, probably not the kind of worry we have. It would have been more like worry that the day would come when persecution landed on your doorstep for your family and you ended up as a torch at someone's party. That's that kind of worry. That kind of, is it worth it to be a Christian? We're beginning to feel a a bit of this here where we live, though not anywhere in the realm of how they would have felt it then. But it's not always popular in your family or your neighborhood or your workplace to follow Jesus anymore. Could it cost you relationships? Probably, It's probably a context where it could cost you relationships. Could it cost you upward mobility? There might be right some companies where it could cost you upward mobility. Could it cost you comfort and ease and just a general sense of going through life with everything kind of going okay? Probably. And so this book is written to believers at a time of worry, in a time of weariness who needed to be reminded of reality. I think that's mainly what Revelation is doing, reminding them of reality through pictures and symbols they would have been able to understand in such a way that they would endure with confidence and courage as they faithfully walk with Jesus. So that's my prayer for us as a people. If you said, Dave, give me one line of what you hope Revelation accomplishes at South City's church, I would say a people enduring with confidence and courage as we walk with Jesus. Confidence and courage, endurance with Jesus. So let's look at what is actually said here in these first eight verses, which are really kind of a, a prologue to the what and who of Revelation. So first point, marveling at the what of Revelation. Read verses one to four A with me. It says, the Revelation John to the seven churches that are in Asia. So I'm just going to make from those four verses just six observations about the what of Revelation. Just help us marvel that we have a God like this. The first observation is notice the kind of book this is in three parts. There's three genres listed in just the first few verses. The first genre is that it's apocalyptic, Right? That's what it's famous for. That's what the word revelation comes from. Apocalypse, which simply in its most basic form means an unveiling or a revealing of what's happening. And this type of literature uses symbols and pictures and visions to do that revealing or that unveiling. So that's where we get the name revelation, apocalypse, revealing, unveiling. And we're going to see a lot of those. A lot of those symbols and pictures and visions and we're going to argue here that for the most part we're not meant to look around in our own day to interpret the symbols right you're not going to hear about helicopters here you're not going to hear about a lot of those kinds of things here what we're going to argue is that we're not meant to look around in our own day to interpret the symbols pictures and visions but almost every single time look back to the old testament to symbols pictures and visions that would have been well known to the original readers and therefore encouraging to them because they would go oh yeah it's like that or oh yeah it's like that oh I've heard that before and look what God did there and therefore as it was encouraging to them will be encouraging I think as well to us second so it's apocalyptic second notice in verse three it's a prophecy and prophecy in the Bible consists of two parts or two types foretelling and forthtelling. Foretelling is the controversial one, it's the broadcasting of the, what's to come in the future, while forthtelling is simply speaking the clear will of God in regards to salvation and judgment to his people and all who will hear to show what's already been revealed. And so I would argue in the Old Testament, most of prophecy is forthtelling. In other words, God has said some things in his word, and it's really clear if you keep going on this path, this is gonna happen. Not because I know the future better than anyone else, but because look what God said. And we're gonna see that in Revelation. And then there's times where it's saying, and God's giving me a special word to let you know what's coming in light of what he said. So both are there in Revelation. We'll see both in this book, foretelling and forth telling and third maybe strangest when you think of apocalyptic literature and prophetic literature notice that this is also a letter and think about if you got a letter like this in the mail right oh right my uncle has gone crazy right that's how you'd feel what is he writing about what is he seeing it sounds like he had some bad dreams but that's what this is this is a letter but it's a letter of grace and peace A letter of grace and peace from the almighty God to the churches in Asia Minor. So it's apocalyptic, it's prophetic, and it's a letter to the people of God. Meant to be received, that they would receive grace and peace. Notice three other things from these verses. Fourth, notice that this message comes from God, through Jesus, through an angel, to John and to all the people of God, a kind of five-fold loving witness to get this message of Christ and his kingdom, of God and his purposes, of salvation and judgment to the people of God for their encouragement and endurance. And it's important to remember, and I only bring it up here because there will be times later in the book where you'll say, wait, is that Jesus talking? Is that the Father talking? Is that an angel talking? Who is talking right now? And right here in the introduction, I think we're meant to see yes. That's how God is delivering this message, through Jesus, through the angel, to John, to the people of God. So as you get there, you go, who is it? John would say, yes, that's how it works. I said that at the very beginning. Fifth, notice there is blessing for those who read and hear and obey. So we hope you read this book along with us and are blessed as you read. We hope you hear this word read in various settings and you find blessing as you hear. And the people who originally read and heard this word were not called mainly to read and hear and then speculate, right? Speculate about weird ideas and weird things and make charts about it, right? Just do all that weird stuff. That's not the main call here. The main call is read, hear, and what? Obey, read this word, (laughs) hear this word, obey this word. And I think the people that originally heard this and read this would have thought they were supposed to obey it (laughs) because that's what it says. They would have been convinced they needed to obey it that they would receive the blessing of it. So I just want to encourage us at the outset to spend more time letting this word work in us in such a way that we obey it then speculate about the strangeness of it. We'll help you with the strangeness. We're gonna keep walking through the strangest. Go to Pastor Daniel's Sunday School class. Ask us at whatever questions you have, but let's let this word land on us in such a way that we obey it, not mainly speculate about it. And sixth, last observation for this first point. Rather than a book just for some people way off in the future, or some time way off in the future, Jesus says through the angel, through John, that these are both the things that must soon take place for the time is near. And I think this is so clearly picking up on language from Daniel chapter two, where the word for revelation shows up over and over again and says it's revealing what will happen with the kingdom of God in the latter days. Then after that, Jesus shows up in the gospels and says the kingdom of God is what? At hand, right? So Daniel, kingdom of God coming in the latter days. Jesus shows up and says the kingdom of God is at hand. We go to the book of Hebrews and these last days, chapter one, are referred to as the time after the coming of Jesus. And so here I think at the beginning we're supposed to understand that these churches in Asia Minor are living in the last days, where the kingdom of God is at hand, and there will be a great struggle between those who follow Jesus and those who follow the great dragon. Kids, we don't do or get letters much anymore. One of my favorite things that uh, my oldest daughter does is she has, I think, 93 pen pals or something like that, right, so she just has the joy of always receiving letters and writing letters, a joy I don't have because I don't have many pen pals. But we, sh- but we should, right? It's fun. It's fun to get a letter. And imagine, kids, if you were having a really hard time in life, and someone with all the power in the world wrote to you to tell you that they loved you, that they'd be with you, that you'd be okay, that they would keep you no matter what would come, that would be amazing, right? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be an encouragement to you to get that kind of letter from someone that you cared for you and was that powerful? That's what God is doing here for the people of God, and that's even more amazing. The almighty God of the universe wants to communicate to his people to pour out timely grace and peace through a letter that reveal reality to them in symbols and pictures and visions that will be familiar enough to them to cause them to be encouraged and endure as they walk with Jesus in the latter days. Isn't God gracious and kind? Isn't he gracious and kind to do that for them? Isn't he gracious and kind to give us this letter that he might do that for us? Doesn't he care for his people? And so the question for South City's church is, are we ready to listen and obey? Are we ready to listen and obey, to receive his grace and peace and blessing and be encouraged and endure? And I hope so. And that's what it was for them and that's what it's gonna be for us as an expression of church in Lakeville, Minnesota. So that first point is just an overview of what it is, right? It's, it's apocalyptic, it's prophetic, it's a letter, it's coming from God through Jesus, through John, through an angel to the people of God. It's meant to bring grace and peace. It would have been written in a way that they felt like it was for them right then. The time was near, the kingdom of God was at hand. And now let's see the first thing. After all that kind of setup. What is the most important thing that God thought these people needed to know about? In the midst of suffering and endurance, what's the most important thing that he thought they needed to know about? And amazingly, but not surprisingly, it's himself. You know what you need to know most in your time of suffering? Your time of brokenness, your time of weariness, and your time of worry, you need to know about me. You need to know about your God. Point number two, marveling at the triune God of revelation. All of this grace and peace and blessing are only as comforting and empowering as the authority and power of the one who makes the promises, right? right I, could, I could tell you whatever I wanted this morning. Right. I could say, hey, come after church, I'm gonna give you $5 million, right? That's a pretty meaningless pow- promise, right? I have no power to do it. But if someone from Amazon, right, Bezos from Amazon comes and says, hey, I'm gonna give you $5 million for this reason, that, you might say, oh, he might actually do it. He might actually have that kind of change to spare. And so I think the reason that God gives them himself first in Revelation is that as he's going to show them, yeah, it's going to be tough. Yeah, there's going to be trials. Yeah, there's going to be tribulations. There's going to be suffering. You have me. I'm going to keep my promises. Stay with me. I'm going to keep my promises. So he shows them all three persons of the triune God right away. First, he shows them the Father. Look at verse 4. Grace to you and peace from him who is And who was and who is to come. This is a reference to the person of the Father in the Trinity. Notice again the way the present is front loaded. This was not a letter simply looking back or a letter simply looking way forward. The first thing said about the triune God is that he is, right, him who is presently. He has all the power for these churches in Asia Minor, He is, this has echoes of the Exodus, when God's talking to his people and he simply says his name is I am. (laughs) It's who I am, I exist, I am who I am. So he's saying here I am, I have all the power in the present and he says I, what he was, right? He's the creator of all. He's overseen every event in human history, he's overseen every individual reality and every person in all of time. He was from eternity past until eternity present. And it says he will be into eternity future. In other words, the picture here of our God is that he has all the power. He has reigned and been faithful. He is reigning and faithful. He will reign and be faithful. Nothing falls out of his control or ever has or ever will. You can trust what he says and trust that if you belong to him he'll keep you because he is, he was, and he will be. Right right now, he is, he was, and he will be. And then it talks about the Holy Spirit, just a little bit more, work on this one, right? From the seven spirits who are before his throne, we're going to see over and over again in Revelation that the number seven in this book has the idea of completion or wholeness or fulfillment. And so we're saying this is the Holy Spirit, and I think this has reference back to Zechariah 4. In Zechariah 4, there are seven lamps before the throne. In Zechariah 4, 6, there's this interpretation given about what exactly this sevenfold burning light points to in God's temple. And here's what it says in Zechariah 4, 6. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Seven lamps burning, right, this idea of completeness. And here the message to Zerubbabel is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, it's not gonna be up to you, (laughs) You're not going to have to do this on your own. It's going to be by my power, by my might, by my spirit, which is exactly what the people here need to hear. They're weary. They're worried. If you're going to say, go do this on their own, they say, we can't. And you say, but there's this perfect Holy Spirit. How will these promises come to bear for the people of God? How will they come to bear for us in our lives? Not by our might, not by our power, but by the perfect powerful spirit of God to empower us and keep us and comfort us coming from the very throne of God who is and who was and who will be it's interesting to me that later the churches are called lampstands and I think we're supposed to see that the place the spirit of God dwells is in the church that's what we're supposed to see with these two pictures combined. Here's a sevenfold spirit kind of seen in these lamps, right, coming from the throne. He's, these churches are lampstands. Where does the Spirit of God operate? In the church. In other words, church, be encouraged. The Spirit of God is here for all those who trust in Jesus. The Spirit of God is here individually, inside of us, and together to keep us faithful until the very end. And then finally, Jesus Christ says and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood Jesus Christ is the faithful witness and this word for witness is really the word that became known as martyr in this time I think it means both Jesus was the faithful witness the one pointing perfectly to who God was or you think of John 1 the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory Glory glories of the only son from the father he's revealing who God is and Jesus was the martyr right that would bring about the new creation Jesus was faithful in these ways as the firstborn of a new creation the start of an age of resurrection life for all who would trust in his death and follow him in his suffering as faithful witnesses to the goodness and glory of God even in suffering unto death. And notice that because of his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and because of his resurrection life, he rules. And again, to these churches in Asia Minor, he rules now. He's not just gonna rule someday later. That's not the way he's encouraging these churches. Like, someday Jesus is gonna come back and rule, and until then, watch out for Satan. He's saying he rules now. He's the ruler of the kings Of the earth he rules with all authority right Jesus said in Matthew all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and this again pictures his equality with God as God the son and again these readers would have heard this imagery and they would have thought of Daniel 7 They would have where one like a son of man comes and receives authority from the ancient of days to rule over all the nations and all the kings of the earth. Daniel 7's echoing in their minds and the new twist here would have been that Jesus rules through suffering, that Jesus conquers through death, that Jesus has been given all authority through his perfect fulfillment of his father's will as the line of the tribe of Judah that is also the resurrected, slain lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that he conquers through suffering. And if our savior conquers through suffering, that might give us an idea of how we'll conquer, right? How we might follow in his footsteps. The summary of this God we serve is in verse eight. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. He's saying, I'm the beginning, I'm the end, and I'm everything in between. The beginning and the end and all that comes between. He has all the power. He can be trusted. When Rome looked big and when Rome looked powerful and when Rome looked never ending to the early church, God declares, I'm bigger. <laughs> so much bigger than Rome. I'm more powerful And you might think it looks like they're going to rule forever. I'm ruling right now. I still rule over all things. I ruled before and I will rule forever. In other words, the message of these verses, the most important thing that John wants them to hear about this God that they serve is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all powerful, completely for us pouring out grace and peace and blessing for the people of God and again this is not health wealth and prosperity kind of hope it's endurance and encouragement through suffering and into glory that's what we're going to see throughout all revelation grace and peace and comfort because the road of walking with Jesus is through suffering and into glory and we have this hope that the original readers would have shared No matter what beastly powers rise up, no matter what the dragon tries to work, no matter where we see that around us or even in ourselves at times, our God is, was, and is to come. The spirit is at work and Jesus completed his work, rose from the dead and brings resurrection life to all who believe. In other words, the message is as simple as your God reigns and you belong to him. But they needed to hear over and over again. Your God reigns and you belong to Him. He's going to keep you. In other words, they didn't need to wait for the next ruler and see if he'd be a little bit more favorable towards Christians. They didn't need to, to wait for the next political event to see where their hope would be, how they would hope for the next day. And neither do we. We don't have to wait for the next election. We don't have to wait for the next election to have hope and joy and security. We don't need to wait for changes in circumstances and relationships or suffering or persecution. Our God reigns and he reigns right now. And all those sealed by his spirit reign with him. Even as they join in his sufferings, that they might attain the resurrection from the dead. Right, that's what Paul says in Philippians three. Right, just want to join him in his sufferings, that by any means possible may share in his death and may attain the resurrection from the dead. There simply is no greater foundation or comfort than the reality of the God that we worship. And if you put your hope, you set your joy. If you set any of that any other place than just on the reality of who God is and what he's done, your life will be almost constantly shaken because there will be reminders yesterday, today, tomorrow, every day that those things aren't strong enough, that those things aren't firm enough. But if your hope's in this God, he's always strong enough. He's always firm enough and you belong to him. Which leads to the third point, marveling at the eternal hope of Revelation. Look at verses five to seven. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so Amen. So we've seen from John that we can trust this triune God, but now we see even more our Savior loves us and has proven it most clearly in freeing us from our sins by his blood, which sometimes when you get down the the road of your Christian life can seem less and less important, right? As suffering comes or persecution comes or hardship comes, you begin to see God's love for you through your circumstances, and instead forget how when you were saved by grace and realized your sins were forgiven, you saw all your circumstances through his love, right? It was the other way around. Like, and he's saying this is the most important thing. How do you know that God loves you? How do you know that this triune God is for you? Will you know based on what the Roman Empire does? Will you know based on if persecution comes to your door or not? Will you know based on how your family interacts with you or rejects you? How will you know that he loves you? Because he's freed you. He's freed you from your sins by his blood. Right? It's, it's objective. Isn't it good that it's objective? Isn't it good that you don't have to figure out or manage your own emotions about if your God loves you or not? Isn't it good that today, if you trust in Jesus Christ alone, the, the slain and risen lamb, he's for you. He's paid for your sins by his blood, and that means that triune God who is and who was and who is to come, who holds all things together, and the sevenfold spirit at work on your behalf to keep you faithful. You know all that's true, and you're going to make it because Jesus did what he did. Man, I need that kind of certainty because I am fickle. I'm emotional. You can see, right? I'm emotional. And I need this kind of objective truth to anchor my soul. And that's what he's trying to give us here. He says, view your circumstances in this big, scary, beastly, dragon-fueled empire you live in through the blood of Christ. It's been objectively purchased, demonstrated, and secured now and forever by the blood of Jesus that frees us from the wrath of God, frees us from condemnation, frees us to be inhabited by the Holy Spirit to walk in new worship and fellowship and obedience to God. Yes, Christian, you might experience some of the wrath of the dragon. You might experience some beastly things happening to you. But if you're in Jesus, who's freed you from his sins by his blood, you're not going to experience his wrath. You're going to be with him forever. If your 80 or 90 years are really hard under persecution, eternity is really long in the presence of Jesus forever. We're freed and brought into his kingdom as fellow royal heirs of Christ and priests that bring the message of the gospel to the world even in the midst of persecution pants. and pain. what it means to be priests in this kingdom. We have royal standing and we have 24-7 access to our Savior he's all powerful, he loves us, he's freed us by his blood, we're his sons and daughters and we have fellowship with him. Don't you think that would have been wildly encouraging to the original readers right, who felt forgotten, persecuted, outside of everything in the Roman Empire? Like just didn't belong anywhere except to Jesus. And we live in a place, and we live in a place that sometimes feels out of step with God, with his purposes, with our identity as Christians? Do we need a word of encouragement and refreshment and courage and hope, right? Are you looking forward to this coming year with anxiety and trepidation and worry and weariness? Like what's gonna happen? What's, what's coming in our world? What's, what's, what's gonna happen to me? What's gonna happen to us? What's gonna happen to our kids? What's gonna, right, you're just filled with these worries and do you want to say, I've been freed by the blood of Jesus from your sins, which means the almighty who is and who was and who's to come. He's for you. He's not against you. His spirit is with you. It's gonna keep you. Do you see the dragon at work in the world and even sometimes in your own heart? Where can these truths come and give rest to your weary soul this morning in your circumstances? Where can these truths cause you to endure in the fight against sin or in the pain of suffering this morning? It's meant to be a present encouragement. And the good news is that when we make it to the end, and we will make it to the end by his blood, through his spirit, he's going to come back someday. That's what it talks about. This quote about him coming back on the clouds and even those who pierce him are wailing on account of him is a a kind of combined quotation from Daniel 7 and Zechariah 2. And the picture there is the picture of the Son of Man coming to receive all power and a moment of regret for some and repentance for others as they see the one slain for their sins and mocked with their lives of idolatry coming back to bring final judgment and salvation the point is Jesus reigns now over beastly powers and keeps his people during beastly dragon field attacks and Jesus keeps his people repenting and walking with him and growing in nearness to him because he has loved them and freed them by his blood and Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make all things finally new. And we want to be those who worship, not wail. Right? That's, that's what's going to happen. Those are the choices. Right? When he comes back, those who belong to him will worship and those who do not belong to him Will wail. When he comes back, those who have trusted him will be vindicated, and those who have ignored him will receive vengeance. That's the choice worship or wailing, vindication or vengeance, eternal hope or eternal horror. That's the picture Revelation is setting up. And setting it up because he is. Jesus reigns. He was. Jesus has been reigning since his resurrection. He is to come. Jesus will reign. The spirit will keep working. The spirit will keep God's people been freed by the blood of Jesus until the day he returns. So in this passage, what we're supposed to do is this letter is opened up for us. Is we're supposed to marvel at the God who wants to pour out grace and peace and blessing on his people. Do you believe this morning God wants to pour out grace and peace and blessing into your life? He does, right? He said it. I didn't say it. He said it. Right? We're supposed to marvel at the power and the work of the triune God. Like before when we were singing the great I am, I hope you felt like he is. He is the great I am. Like, he is bigger. Demons do flee. Everyone does have to bow before him. Now, that's not just something you know, but you feel it. Like You walk around with the name of Jesus on your heart and know I'm safe and secure. He's for me, not against me. Nothing thwarts his plans. Like you feel Feel it to the core of your being. That's what we want for we you. Want not artificial, emotional courage that comes depending on your circumstances or what you ate for breakfast, right? What we want is like rock solid, down to your core. God is for me, not against me, proved by the blood, empowered by the Spirit. I'm going day-to-day, trusting in all that He is. That's what we want for this church. And to marvel at the eternal hope we have in Jesus. We're safe, we're freed by his blood. And as we do, that we would read, hear, and obey. Obedience is coming. Right now the obedience is to worship, but there's more, there's a lot of commands in Revelation that we need to obey, that we might receive all the blessing God has for us as we seek him in this book, the way the early church sought him in their day. Let me pray. Lord, you are, and you were, and you will be. And you have loved us and freed us from our sins by your blood through the person and work of Jesus. And Lord, you have sent out your sevenfold perfect Holy Spirit to keep us and to empower us and to comfort us and to convict us and to keep us safe as the beastly powers rise and as the dragon-fueled world seeks to get in us and around us, Lord, you are stronger. You are bigger. You are more firm of foundation. So, Lord, I pray that this gospel hope, this hope of being in the safety and security of our eternal God, through the blood of Jesus, right now would land on us as fresh hope, objective hope, sure hope, never-ending hope—the kind of hope that will take us day to day and will bring us right into Your presence, where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Lord, work in us what's pleasing in Your sight. Lord, wherever we have become prey to the dragon, kind of work in our lives, Lord—the the addictive sins and the bitterness and the gossip and the idolatry and the false worship, Lord, just convict us now and and bring us back through repentance. Lord, where we've grown weary and we've spent more time in anxiety and and fear about the world and all that around us than we have remembering all that you are for us, Lord, bring us back again and remind us that you're a, a mighty fortress, a strong tower, a place of refuge for those who run to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, come now, comfort your people, convict your people. As we eat and drink with Jesus, remind us that you're here with us now. Through your word, by your spirit, Lord, come now, we pray, in fellowship with us. In Jesus' name, amen.